0: Welcome to COVID Roulette. I'm Tony Wilson. We're sharing the stories of the pandemic. And today, it's some economic stories. And we're going to start with Simon Greenland, who pre-pandemic was flying along with a tourism business that catered for international visitors. But of course, all that changed.
1: COVID Roulette. Stories from the Pandemic. My name is Simon Greenland. I operate a company called theprivatetourguide.com. Pre-COVID, I was number one rated company on TripAdvisor in Melbourne with record numbers of tourists and running an amazing business with Seven staff, four vehicles, and um, taking people all over the regional areas of Victoria. And I also had three guides in Sydney and three guides in Tasmania. And things were going fantastically. Tell us what's happened now. Is it a a different picture? We're talking January, February 2020, record months. Uh, March was also looking like a record month. And then March 21st, it all disappeared very quickly. And here we are two years, three months later, even though tourism's coming back, international tourists aren't coming as great as we'd like them to. The volume's not there. There is hope, but uh, at the moment, yeah, things are still pretty sad. So tell us about what you do
0: and why lockdown is so damaging to a business like yours.
1: The first three months of lockdown were fantastic because it was a case of reconnecting with my kids. But then we just kept going into lockdowns. Although I was doing a remarkable job at homeschooling, I was struggling mentally.
0: Tell us, Do you you mind telling us the sort of difference in in a salary week that you might have had in in February 2020 versus now?
1: Oh, 100% to, if I'm lucky, 5%. You know, I've had grants and I've had help from government and I've never been one to put my hand out but I've had to had to do that for the first time in my life and uh, go to members of parliament and advocate for the industry so I've helped a lot of other people out but unfortunately a lot of people haven't been able to sustain their businesses and their professions Um, just to give you an example there's a company called go west tours 120 employees within two weeks of the pandemic hitting had eight employees And uh, they contacted me recently because they were slowly coming back with some domestic people. And they're okay now, um, but they're still probably at 10% of what they were earning before COVID hit.
0: And what's your plan? Are you eyeing an exit strategy or are you looking at, we can get this thing going again, we'll get through?
1: I know I'll get through. It's just a case now of waiting again. Um, And that's, that's the hardest thing, Tony. It's constantly getting momentum. And then um, being one foot forward, two steps back. I created other companies during COVID to tap into other markets. I ta- tried to tap into a Melbourne market with a great Nong's trail walk. I tried to tap into domestic market with greatoceanride.com and then Omnicrom hit. Uh, we had international bookings and they all fell away. So my primary business, the private tour guide, will come back and I'm at the pole position when it comes back
0: so who are your best clients which which nationality would you say are you relying on getting confidence in australia again
1: high-end american clients high-end so we're talking you know that 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 one percent of americans that travel with no budget in mind singaporeans are coming back and they're they're the probably my primary source of income at the moment, but uh, high-end Americans haven't come back yet.
0: Is it too far for them and and too risky in terms of the legislative environment here? Why aren't Americans coming yet?
1: I think it's a situation where no matter how much money the government pumps into promotion of Australia through tourism, it's going to take word of mouth. It's going to take confidence for people to come. A trickle of people will come. They'll go back and they'll say we went to Australia and we had an amazing time. They're all over it. They're they're on top of everything. They're all vaccinated. It's incredible. You've got to go, and that will take six months, nine months. So we're then we're talking. It'll be three years before I'm back. So it'll be three years since COVID hit that I'll um, I'll be back to hopefully my pre-COVID numbers.
0: And what do they do when they get here? What's the high-end American want to do when they hit rural Victoria? Well,
1: what the high-end people want is behind the scenes. They want to be taken into the back door of the winery and meet a wine, a small winemaker. They want to be shown uh, the penguins through the eyes of a ranger. They want to see the Great Ocean Road by a helicopter. They want to walk the Grampians Trail with an Indigenous guide. And I facilitate all of that.
0: What about yourself mentally and the strain of this? Did, did you see yourself go into, into difficult spots? Oh,
1: I'll be first person to say that I've been to psychologists throughout this. I've been to counseling. In many ways, it's been a grieving process and um, I went through that initial five stages of grief for the first 18 months and came out of it and the beauty of it was that it, I came out of it because of my children, you know, they were incredibly strong and uh, resilient what I find myself going through at the moment is a micro grieving processes probably every two or three weeks where I get a bit of momentum and then it's just taken away from me so I'll get a few bookings and then all of a sudden it just drops away Um, most recently the Grand Prix in Melbourne and Easter coincided and I had Singaporeans coming and some Filipinos coming and um it looked like everything was going fantastically, but then all of a sudden it just dropped away. <laughs> I rang a few operators that I know and I said, is it dropped away for you also? And they said, well, it has, but remember that May was always the quietest month. And I said, I don't remember because I can't remember. It's so long ago. You know, it's, it's two years ago. When someone that you love comes out of a coma, you have to teach them to the talk. You have to teach them to the walk. They have to learn to sip a drink. They have to learn to use a fork. I have trouble opening up a laptop to answer an inquiry. I have troubles picking up the phone to answer a, 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 a caller that I don't know. So, you know, I've got a lot of steps to take before I can get back to my usual self pre-COVID.
0: Did you see it? projected onto your kids I, I mean I had some difficulties in lockdown as well I guess we were, we were dealing with disability and not as many carers and support structures and, and I just watched my own personality <laughs> deteriorate you know the, the, the shortness of temper and this sort of stuff have you struggled on that front around here or, or do you think you've been able to compartmentalize
1: I've been very lucky that I've had a very supportive wife um, that has been working and um, financially has been able to keep us okay and my kids have been incredibly resilient and I've made a very great effort to never show my frustrations in front of the kids. And the best way to do that, i found, is to take them on bike rides, to use physical uh, bike rides or, or running or playing in the park or playing basketball, kicking the footy, just to get out of the house as much as possible. And also take them on adventures, like during lockdown, you know, going up to uh, the, the local uh, shopping centre and giving them a bowl of noodles or introducing them to... Um, pig's intestines you know it was making every single day an adventure but at the same time I was not coping myself and the minute my wife came home from work or the minute she came out of her study if she was in lockdown while she was working I was done I was completely finished for the day and I'd lock myself in my room and put on Netflix and come out make dinner and disappear again. It does look as though
0: things are improving I mean I've got my Brother, I think, is travelling next month. Is, is is tourism coming back?
1: The best way to answer that question, Tony, is to say, have you booked an overseas trip? And how many of your friends have booked an overseas trip? Because you probably thought about it and you really want to take your family overseas and you'd love to go to Bali or you'd love to go to Thailand or you'd love to go to Disneyland or you'd love to go to Scandinavia or Europe, wherever, and you're thinking about it and that's the reality of what's happening internationally as well they want to come to australia but it's going to take a long time no matter how much we promote it and when they all say oh it must be coming back simon it must be coming back and i say well domestically it is but my high-end product that i offer people don't want that domestically they, they'll hire a car and they'll find it themselves i require international people and as much as people think it's coming back it's uh it's 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 going to be slow but i'm ready to go once things come back until we get volume and until we see more planes in the sky and more flight paths is the big issue you know i had a client recently that flew in from argentina and it took her 40 hours to get to melbourne just to visit her daughter when it would have taken 14 hours before so these are things that people don't think about in tourism because there's airlines that still have to come back to life as well and they've need we need the flight paths and we need that volume of people to travel to create enough um, impetus in the industry
0: and I spoke to a bloke who would be a business class traveler who told me that a one-way business class flight to London on Qantas I think he said that It was uh, ten thousand. So taking his wife was twenty thousand, and a return trip (laughs) was forty thousand. Is that is that right? Are airline prices high at the moment?
1: Oh, ridiculously high. However, Singaporean airlines uh, were offering eight hundred dollar return flights because they've got such a great volume of people that just want to get out of the concrete jungle. Singaporean is a, a a wealthy nation. They can travel. But, you know, I, I require that high-end American and high-end European market, and they're just not coming yet. And I'm not sure I can
0: really help out in the high-end international travel front but if, if anyone's listening who's going to recommend a tour company on that, what's, where, where do we find
1: you? Theprivatetourguide.com. Very easy.
0: Simon, thanks so much for telling this very personal story for us. We really appreciate it. No worries. Simon mentioned during his chat that he went back to being a tour guide. His friend Terry Smith runs Go West Tours out of Northcote. And so I thought I'd go and chat to Terry as well and find out about the tough times he's endured. Hello, it's Terry. Uh, G'day, Terry. It's Tony. Terry, thanks so much for coming on COVID Roulette. We spoke to Simon just a minute ago. Can you talk about the extent of that devastation and, and how quickly it happened?
2: Yeah, look. Um, I guess towards the end of January 2020, news of a, uh, a coronavirus began spreading around internationally, and uh, obviously there was some cause for concern. But you know, mostly it was in China, and then of course the Australian government decided to close the borders to Chinese visitors, and we sort of, you know, thought this isn't a great thing. But we don't get that many Chinese visitors because a lot of the Chinese travellers tend to ch- travel in you know Chinese groups and with Chinese language tour guides, etc. So we thought, well, that's not going to be great for those companies. But you know, to some extent, we were um, separated from that. But in February of uh, 2020, our customer numbers in terms of bums on seats was down 35, yeah. percent and that was obviously cause for considerable concern. And you know, one of the things you've got to do at that point is start to look at the costs in your business. And, you know, we had to make the very unfortunate decision at that point in time that the position of general manager in our business could no longer be sustained. So, you know, that particular role was made redundant, which was uh, with considerable regret because that particular staff member had been with us for 10 years and always been a very good staff member. But, you know, you're just going, well, you know, we can't do that anymore. Mm. The day that the borders were, or the announcements came that the borders were closing, I was myself down the Mornington Peninsula and myself and my wife Fiona had stopped in at the brewery down there, St Andrews Beach Brewery. Fiona had managed to find a table while I went off to the bar to uh, to, to grab a, a drink each. And while I, after I placed my order, while I was waiting for the barman to do what they had to do, I grabbed my phone, I looked at my phone, and saw the news that the borders had closed. My my drink arrived first, and uh, when I walked back out to the table, Fiona said to me, "Did you only order half a beer?" I said no. I've basically gulped down half it already. So I said, "Have you seen the news?" And she said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, I got no idea what this means." And um, you know, pretty much it was it was like punching a hole in a balloon. Really, it was extremely deflating. At that point in time, our business had solid bookings for the for the two weeks ahead, and we thought, okay, well, at least we should be able to operate tours for for the next two weeks. By the time we got back into the office on Monday, we had seen a river of cancellations. Uh, yeah. I was paying a, paying a, a reservations team to sit there and basically process nothing but cancellations. And when I sat down with our operations team to look in the res system and work out, you know, how far ahead we could continue to, to, to operate tours viably, uh, there was about four days of business left. Yeah. And uh, I remember making that phone call, um, you know, from our depot to uh, to Fiona and saying, you know, I think we got about four days left. And she just said, come home. And I said, well, I haven't got time. I've got too much else to do. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it was obviously um, probably the, the worst thing that's ever happened to me, to be honest, yeah. uh, in the sense that um, I had the unenviable task in the next couple of days of sitting down and drafting an email to 122 staff uh, who were all casual, casually employed and predominantly tour guides and essentially saying, we have no idea when we're going to have any further work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, during the course of drafting that email, I just stopped and sobbed oh. on, on two occasions. Uh, it remains the worst moment of my entire career. And, uh, you know, to basically say, look, sorry, but, you know, you know we know we're extremely conscious. and I've always been very conscious of an employer that we are essentially responsible for ultimately paying the mortgages of people and, and their kids school fees and, and you, know, putting them through, uh, you know, sustaining their livelihoods. That was devastating it was you know literally the worst thing that I've ever had to do in, you know 20 odd years of business so from there it was a case of you know winding it down and um, you know we had little idea what was going to happen driving to work that day was the first time I actually became aware there was a Centrelink on my journey to work uh, I'd driven past it literally hundreds of times have never even noticed that there was there but on this occasion I drove past and there was a queue stretching 80 meters down the street from the door um, you know, it felt like financial Armageddon or economic Armageddon, not only for us but for the for the entire nation. And you know, to the government's credit, they jumped in fairly quickly and you know worked out the uh, the JobKeeper package. Certainly, was a valuable contribution, to being able to sustain some level of employment, not only for us but also for you know numerous members of our team. But, you know, the JobKeeper package obviously had its imperfections, partially because it was obviously thrown together so quickly. But, you know, we were in a situation where I think that a total of about 60 of our staff actually qualified for JobKeeper based on their, their duration of tenure with us. But, you know, we weren't likely to see any funds for, you know, six weeks or, or longer. And that would have worked out to us having to somehow come up with $270,000 worth of, of funding. Um, at a time when we weren't receiving any payments from from agents for services that we had already provided to that point in time. Um, You know, we had a number of agents go bust. We had one agent that, you know, basically contacted us and said, look, I can pay you $100 a month until it's paid down. Uh, But I want to say that I hold that agent in high regard because to their credit, they continued to communicate with us. They did continue on the basis of paying us $100 a month to deplete their... Their debt to us. So, we had a number of other agents who simply ceased all communication, um, whether they were themselves in a state of economic paralysis. You know, we, we found it impossible to pursue debts to, to chase down money that was owed to us at a time ourselves when we basically had no revenue and had to basically allow staff. So, realistically, for the next four months, we had about 10 or maybe a dozen staff on the JobKeeper program. But after four months, we literally began to run out of things to do. We weren't running any tours. We'd done all of the spring cleaning of our fleet that we could do and all the minor service work that we could do ourselves. We'd had our reservation staff checking all of our online listings. We'd had them entering you know, details into databases of an accumulation of of uh, business cars, et cetera, that had been collected at trade shows and things like that. So all those jobs that you thought you'd never get around to, we basically did. But eventually came to a point where we ran out of things for them to do, and essentially had to say, "Well, look, you might as well go and find another job." Um, you know, the job keeper, as much as it was seven hundred fifty bucks a week, was you know a lot less than most of them were used to earning. And you know, we simply suggested they go and find some other employment. And many of them have have come back to us, which is you know terrific. But it was two years. You know, the the the, the last tour that we operated in COVID was that um, on the twenty second of March, twenty twenty. There was a long period where it was actually unlawful for us to operate tours, and we did run a couple of charter tours at times when the restrictions eased and, you know, Victorians were looking at doing trips out to the O Valley and things like that. We did a small number of, of group charters. But ultimately, the, the the first tour that we ran upon the emergence from COVID was on the 10th of January this year, 2022. So there was a period of very nearly two years where we ran no tours at all.
0: And, and, and what was the the loss of staff? I mean, would you say you lost 50% permanently or have you lost
2: 25%? At the beginning of COVID, we had 132 staff on our books. Um, You know, we literally went to a point where there were three staff on our books, including myself and my wife, Fiona. Um, you know, we kept other staff, you know, technically on the books, but weren't paying them. And, you know, they were essentially um, asked to, you know, work out a situation where they, you know, retain employment with us and not b- break the uh, tenure of employment. And essentially, that meant them writing us a letter and asking to go on unpaid leave. So we did that. And, you know, some of those staff have come back. But no, look, in in returning from COVID, I think right at the moment, we have about 24 staff on our books. So we're down from 132 down to basically three and now back up to 24. And, you know, in, in returning from COVID, we're now in a in an absolute crisis of uh, staff because, you know, the business is beginning to come back and we simply find ourselves in a position where the recruitment realities are the, the worst we've ever seen in the, in the history of our business by a long way. Um, and, you know, we're endeavouring to recruit staff in a time when there's uh, massive staff shortages right throughout the economy.
0: And Terry, how, how low did you go? Simon, Simon told me he went pretty low. How did you feel at the worst of this
2: Oh, look, um, I'd like to think that I managed to retain some level of, um, of uh, level-headedness and, and even temperament. I mean, one of the things that I guess uh, gave me some comfort is the knowledge that it was entirely beyond my control and that I hadn't personally stuffed up. Um, you know, I have made a number of mistakes across the, uh, the the journey of running a business over a long period of time, and they're the ones that make me feel feel in worse shape, I suppose. At the time that when, when we uh, told our staff that they might as well go and find a job, it occurred to me that it was probably a good idea that I myself go and find a job too. And ha- having been self employed for 20 years, it was, you know, a somewhat daunting prospect. I actually printed some flyers and stuck them in various letterboxes around the neighborhood and uh, did some lawn mowing for a little while. And then uh, I was fortunate enough that a, a, a friend who I I know through one of my uh, children's schools, told me that their, their business was uh, recruiting and that I should send an email to, to this particular email address and I ended up picking up a job in the healthcare sector. So I became a logistics manager in a company that was doing COVID testing and vaccination. Hmm. So it gave me something daily to get out of bed and go and do, which was great to have your head in a space that said I'm actually doing something, contributing rather than waking up and staring at a wall. Um, you know, it gave me an income, it gave me a, a experience in a whole different industry. And it being an industry that was actually about covert suppression and so on, it was actually you know made me feel like I was at least contributing towards the end of the pandemic as small as my role might have been. Um, you know community health is a very different sector for from tourism, and it's you know I really enjoyed my time there. I had some great colleagues. you know, I felt like we we all worked really hard together, it was, there were some very big differences between working for yourself and working in a government-funded program, and I shan't go into the intricacies of, you know, efficiency of, of, of funding and, and spending of those funds. But it was terrific to, you know, in January this year begin to see some light at the end of the tunnel with our own business. And having just returned on Wednesday night from a trade show at the Australian Tourism Exchange where i've been you know talking about our business to international wholesalers online travel agents etc over the, over a three-day period it is just good to be back in a business that you actually have passion for and as i say look i enjoyed my time in healthcare i have no regrets about my time in healthcare it taught me a lot of things but it wasn't an area that i had passion for and, and tourism it, is absolutely something with it that i have passion for
0: and did you did you remain a believer throughout or did you get angry you know at the policies of border closures and and lockdowns or did you sort of say this is it we've got to do it this is you were in healthcare you would have been seeing that up close as well what 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 were your thoughts towards the policy of lockdown and and shut out
2: i'm a bit of a fatalist i suppose you know you just tend to shrug your shoulders and go oh well this is what i've got to do i'm not a um a, a rebel i'm not one of those people who was out marching in the streets and um getting upset about it my view was that even uh, you know lockdowns didn't really change my business as long as the international borders were closed i didn't really have a business anyway so even if they you know reduced lockdown within victoria wasn't going to be the, you know, the golden ticket that I needed to back to seeing international travel resuming. Really, you know, all the way through, my view was that until people from overseas were able to visit Australia without having to go into quarantine. Nothing was going to happen. And when the government did announce that Singaporean visitors were going to be able to visit Australia quarantine-free, I saw a a pulse in in our business. No single nation is big enough to sustain a business like ours by itself, but at least it was a start. So we basically then set a date and geared up and thought, okay, well, they're allowing Singaporeans. Surely it won't be too long till they begin to allow others. So we sort of set the date of January the 10th as our start date we sort of thought that you know they, they they would look at the Australian open which typically starts in you know mid january and think okay well we'll surely allow visitors to come back in time for that and as it worked out they didn't really but so we did run a one off tour on the on the 10th of january um Having been a a managing director of a business that employed 132 staff and, you know, over many years grew to that sort of level, I I had long moved away from being on the road myself. As much as I have loved and and do love being a tour guide, I was just way too busy running the business to consider going down, you know, getting in the bus and driving a trip down the Great Ocean Road. So it had been a dozen years or more since I'd actually, you know, been out on tour, uh, you know, behind the wheel of the bus. Um, and uh, so anyway, I uh, did a bit of um, brushing up on my um, on my information all that sort of thing. And, you know, we put a tour up on our reservation system and we started to see a little bit of interest. And I actually put the word out to our former tour guides to say, hey, listen, if anyone wants to come along on the day, you're not going to be paid, but you're certainly not going to have to pay for a seat either. If you'd just like to get together for a day down the Great Ocean Road, we're running a tour in this day. Let me know. We'd love to book you on. So um, on the day of the tour, we had five of our former guides join the join the tour. Um, and, um, you know, I'm pleased to say that all of them are now back working for us. Um, and, um, you know, I I went out and guided the tour and, you know, had a great day myself. Really, really enjoyed the experience. Um, my son came along. My son was 16 at the time and he came on the tour and, you know, got through the day. And as we drove home, having, you know, cleaned up the bus at the depot and so on, I remember saying to Lockie, my son, you know, I thought I did a pretty good job today. I had a great day. I thought the Spiels came back to me reasonably well. It was a bit like getting back on the bike and I gave myself an eight and a half out of ten. <laughs> and he said he said, you know what, Dad, I gave you a nine out of ten. And I thought, you know what, if if you can get a nine out of ten from your teenage boy, then I reckon you've done all right. So uh, yeah. So, you know, it's progressed from there and you know, we're really pleased to say that we're back to back to running, you know, reasonably good numbers and right at the present, We are, you know, constrained by supply rather than by demand. Yeah. Um, you know, we are seeing good numbers of guests from Singapore and, you know, we're seeing a lot more Australians than we historically have. Great to have revenue, great to have, have um, staff returning to the business, great to have, um, you know, opportunities to, to bring buses out of hibernation and things like that. But ultimately, the thing that, you know, I've really missed most about COVID is, is, uh, through the COVID period has been um, our guests and, and the opportunity to show people an amazing uh, travel experience.
0: And, and Terry, have you had COVID?
2: Not that I'm aware of. I was involved in the opening of the Pran Town Hall when it was opened for a vaccination centre. I was the sixth person vaccinated in it as it opened. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated, looking forward to getting a fourth shot. I'm not quite old enough to get a fourth shot just yet.
0: Terry, where can we find your business? What's your website address?
2: So uh, Go West Tours uh, can be found at uh, gowest.com.au.
0: Well, best of luck getting it back to 100%. It would be great to hear people like yourself and Simon having a really good 2022, 2023. No worries at
2: all. My pleasure.
0: That's the end of the episode. I'm Tony Wilson. COVID Roulette is an Elphington Community Centre project, and it has been funded through the Victorian Government's Local Community Access Grants Program. It's conceived and produced by myself and Leanne Coglin. Our musical theme is from David Bridey. Our artwork from Lee Arkapoor. Thanks so much to our interviewees. Simon Greenland of theprivatetourguide.com and Terry Smith of gowest.com.au. That's the end of the episode. If you've got an interesting COVID tale, share it with us. We want to hear from you. There's an email address in the show notes. And remember, yes, there's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of heartache. But the thing that got us back open again was vaccination. Go and book yours.